Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hello, and welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Marcy. Today, we're speaking with the great illustrator, Paul Ozolinski about his work, about his Caldecotts, and about um, his experience illustrating the Newberry winner for 1984, Dear Mr. Henshaw by Beverly Cleary. Thanks for being with us today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you very much. So uh, we, you know, read your bio on your website. um, And of course, you've probably been asked this to death. um, But what was it like to be Maurice Sendak's student at Yale? Uh, Well, I have been also, I've been told, why do you always mention that in your bio too? So so it's a question, I guess, I uh, bring on myself. And uh, I was... uh, uh, it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, you, know, you hear uh, and read a lot of things about how Maurice was um, difficult to deal with, and he you know, had got very angry at people, and he was a curmudgeon, and all these things may have been true, but he did it with a tremendous amount of humor and self-awareness, I think. And and we, his class, which, um, as far as I know, was the first class he ever taught of anything. Um, were uh, were on his side. He never, you know, he, he wasn't angry at us. He was tremendously patient and and uh, encouraging and really fatherly or avuncular and and uh, and was certainly uh, the reason that it occurred to me that I would love to make children's books. Did you keep in touch with him at all? Did he realize that that was such a formative experience for you? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, it it wasn't absolutely constant over all these. Um, there were some periods when I just thought uh, he didn't need to keep hearing from me. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I actually stayed in touch with him quite a lot after the course that I took, and 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 then I would drop in on his class after I moved to New York, and he was then teaching for a little while at the Parsons School of Design, and uh, I like to sometimes drop in on classes there. I, I, I stayed in touch uh, quite a bit then, and then again, I was in touch with him pretty regularly toward the end of his life, too. I can even imagine just being able to drop in on Maurice Sendak. That's amazing. <laughs> I was aware how privileged I was, and, and he was quite a remarkable person with an unbelievable memory for things and a a very firm taste in everything. Your own illustration style is so varied. Um, You've said that you want to make pictures that speak in the same voice as the words, um, which is so laudable. But do you have any particular style that you enjoy not doing yourself but but to view or or to see as as art oh that's that's an interesting question thank you for not making it a question about what i do (laughs) because that's harder to answer um i but but even there i don't really uh, uh i i was i visited a school yesterday in long island and got a question about my favorite uh 
style, I think. And, and I just tend to say I, that I'm, I'm really bad at making decisions. And I go into a restaurant and I can't decide what to order off the menu. And, uh, you know, almost any question about a favorite, anything, uh, leaves me uh, undecided. So I don't know. I mean, there are certain things that I don't like too much and there are things that I think, uh, in, in, like in, in children's illustration, if you're just talking about that as, as a world, I think, um, that I, I like to see books that are realistically illustrated because I think there's a dearth of that. I think it's, it's for some reason gone so totally out of style mm. that it should come back in. I like to know, I, I like to see if things feel like they are really good examples of what they're trying to do. And usually if they can even qualify to be that, then what they're trying to do has enough going for it that, that it's worth it. What are your go-to sources for references? Uh, well, now, I mean, I, I, the, the, the first step, you know, I'll, I'll look at Google and see what's there uh, without leaving my seat. But I still, actually, I still go to the New York Public Library's picture collection, uh, which can have things that aren't anywhere else and mm -hmm. which is curated and in the absolute real sense of this overused word, um, it's, you know, um, you don't go looking for one thing and find another thing. So, so that, that's a good one, but, but to, the task, you know, the thing that I'm looking for is what determines where I'm going to go. And there are really different needs and, 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 and it's, uh, and I love trying to find, the right thing. The next book to come out uh, is um, called uh, All of a Kind Family, Hanukkah. <gasps> you should see Jenny's face. Yeah, I, I love that reaction. No, I, I loved those books so much when I was a kid. They, I see, oh, there are a lot of people who, who did. I didn't grow up with them, uh, but my daughter's did and they felt that way and this is a text by Emily Jenkins of um, with with permission of from Sydney Taylor's oh, wow. uh, daughter and uh, it's so I was looking up uh, I was trying to find out what I could about the houses was set in the apartment which you know was in the all the kind family books there's some uh, mentions of you know, the rooms and the houses and things that I didn't want to contradict them. And I, so I was trying to look up the real house that the real Sidney Taylor lived in, in the real, um, you know, 1910s. And that, so that was my most recent, you know, uh, very interesting uh, research jaunt that took me to uh, the New York city archives and all their records of, of uh, certificates of occupancy and, and plans and you know, architectural things. And it's, it was really cool. And, and old uh, insurance maps from the different decades, 1800, 1910, and mm -hmm. trying to find that one house and 
anything I could about it. It was, uh, so, so, you know, that, that I can, I'll go anywhere. But once I, I, uh, for researching, um, the, uh, like witchcraft for Hansel and Gretel, I was told that you know, some, someone told me that I should check out the Jung library. Carl Jung lived in New York and his house became a library. And I went and looked up witchcraft and found a whole bunch of symbols. Oh, wow. So it's, uh, it's wonderfully, it's one of the greatest ways to, uh, I don't want to say to procrastinate, but to move <laughs> forward slowly toward a goal and maybe find things that nobody else knew well, and it, to learn stuff. It absolutely warms my heart. One that you go to so many libraries and do actual like hands-on research because I'm a librarian. Um, and so that absolutely warms my heart. Um, and then two, I, the, um, the all of a kind family was just, I I just loved that series so much. And I have a memory. We read it with one of my classes and I grew up in like backwoods, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, we read it with one of my classes and that's how I found out about it. And then they said they had an author visit. They said that it was Sydney Taylor, but I think that Sydney had already passed. So like, like um, looking back at it now. So, but I think they just brought an elderly Jewish man in. Oh my God. If they brought a Jewish man in, this was not Sydney Taylor because she was not a, a man. Yeah. I think that they like made this up that it was the author. Now that looking back on it, but they had us like, um, play the homemade instruments, like the wax paper on the comb and like all the instruments that they made in the books. And so now I'm like, Oh, they kind of just made that up, but it was still such a nice experience as a kid. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I read all the books over and over, and I just loved, I just loved that series so much. I'm so excited that a new one's going to come out. Well, this is a picture book. It's, it's, yeah. it's different from the others, but it's, I think it's very charming. There are always a lot of little jokes in your artwork. Um, do you add those as you uh, go, or do you plan them? Uh, I wouldn't say I plan very much. Um, so, uh, and, and then I sometimes forget what I put in. They're so un, unorganized. So uh, I, it, it, the wheels on the bus actually has something in it that uh, it's like some initials on the top of the building. Mm-hmm. And I sort of remember that somebody asked me to do something. And so I did that. But I don't. Rem- I don't know what it was or who they were or what it means. <laughs> I don't think there's any way to to retrieve it. The lost joke. <laughs> but that person. The lost joke. Yeah. That person's like, I'm in a Paul Zelinsky book. <laughs> I am in the wheels on the bus. I'm on the top of the building. Uh, if if that was a person, <laughs> person's initials, I don't know what it was. It could be almost anything. <laughs> You've worked with so many just legendary authors. I mean, Avi and Beverly Cleary. Are, are there any memories that specifically stand out to you with working with people like that? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I have to say, I've also uh, observed the traditional separation between illustrator and author. So I haven't sat in a room and worked with any of the authors, but I have been 
um, in touch with them in one way or another. And, and usually, if not during, then afterwards. And I really am amazed when I think about it at the, that the incredible luck or you know privilege that I've had to be um, connected to this number of to, to some sort of absolutely stellar authors like Beverly uh, Cleary and Laurie Siegel and um, as well as the dead ones like Carl Sandburg, whom I was sort of in admiration of because I grew up in Illinois where he was like the national state hero. Um, but uh, I, and, and for different ones of these, uh, there were different uh, sort of significant memories. I, I, Avi, I was living, I'm still living in Brooklyn Heights. I was living and, and working in an apartment when I was doing a couple of books of his. And uh, and we did get together. And it turns out he grew up in Brooklyn Heights also. And I think, if I remember right, that my apartment, he was pretty sure had been uh, occupied by his uncle. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. <laughs> so we find this out, you know, <laughs> the world is so small. And, and um uh, so, uh, and um, I don't know, but it, it's 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 just been been very wonderful. I mean, Beverly uh, was also really great to me. I I, um, I would communicate with her through the publisher, but I would get letters that she sent to them to send to me. We were curious to know um, how you decided on your approach to that, whether it was, you know, her direction or yours. Um, nobody told me, nobody suggested anything, but it, I, um, and actually that, that's been how it's always been for me. I, I've uh, given a lot of credit to the editor's, who've taken me on because I don't know what I'm going to do. And they certainly don't know what they're going to get. And it's um, been a matter of great trust, although it's very, very collaborative. And I'm, I don't think that I'm real hard to work with because if I do something that, that, that they really don't like, um, I, then we have a conversation until we, do both like it, but uh, but for the well, actually, um, dear Mr. Henshaw was my was the second book of of Beverly's that I illustrated. The first one was Ralph S. Mouse, and um, and I didn't think that the style was exactly the same. I was trying to change it some. Um, Ralph S. Mouse was oh, that was I think. Did you hear that? It's Avi's uncle. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he haunts the neighborhood. Uh, Ralph S. Mouse. I was tr- I was thinking for that. I was sort of thinking about um, Garth Williams' pictures for Stuart Little. Maybe I, I don't know. It wasn't really not really a mouse connection, but just that I love Garth Williams so much, and there was like the right amount of realism and the right amount of sort of extra bouncy, wonderful graphic line in there that I was hoping to, 
to capture. But I thought, but uh, um, dear Mr. Henshaw, is, um, to say such a serious book isn't quite the way I'd want to put it, but it's um, it's so real. No, it's just so real that that I wanted to have a, just a, a very uh, literal, unremarkable, traditional, realistic, pen and ink kind of drawing for it. You certainly captured the tone of the book, and the the cover especially comes across oh, as so like, just calm and, and vulnerable, sort of. Yeah, but... And we talked about this when we talked about the book, um, but we talked about how Beverly Cleary has an amazing way of showing the vulnerability and the strength of kids, of just regular kids. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and the amount of humor that is, in, that is in the book, as well as the amount of facing reality is just, it's just so well done and so well balanced. And you sort of don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so natural. It's just a kid talking. Mm-hmm. And then if you really look at it and you see how she was <laughs> pulling the strings of your heart and you know, <laughs> letting you know letting out the information about what's inside of Lee uh, bit by bit here and there, and it's just a, it's so wonderfully done. So um, yeah, the, the cover. Thank you for that about the cover. Uh, the cover was quite. Uh, uh, an experience because um, I, I I did the sketch and and uh, I liked it quite a bit and the editor liked it and the art director liked it and everybody liked it and it was going uh, through in a normal way but this was a book with um, more at stake I suppose a bigger budget or bigger it was a bigger book for the publisher than almost anything that they did. So, uh, so that meant that marketing had a much bigger say in it. Usually in those days, the marketing department had no say in the cover of a book or in, in much, they would just have to sell what they were given. Uh, things have turned around enormously, but back then it was still the case that if the book was going to be, you know, uh, a big book, marketing had maybe the final say they had a big say and marketing turned out after my drawing was done not to like this drawing hmm. um, it was it was too quiet it it, it was it wasn't um, uh, it, it wasn't powerful enough my feeling was they wanted just something that would jump out at you when you were 75 feet away and facing in a different direction. (laughs) And, uh, but I couldn't think of anything. Now this is a book about a boy becoming uh, loving to write. It's about a book about a boy writing about his personal problems. His parents are divorced and he's sad about it. And he's writing about these things and, and he's a loner in school and he's writing about that. So what, where is the, you know, this, they wanted it to be a boy book, you know, mm. something. I, I, 
said, and I didn't talk to anybody in marketing. This was all done through um, the wonderful editor, David Ruther, um, who didn't agree with what he was having to tell me, but um, I said, put a truck on the cover. A truck is <laughs> in this book appears in the book for like a part of one scene and then it's gone. And, and the book is really about the absence of, tr of the truck. Lee's trucker father was gone. He's not part of the structure. So to have it be on the cover, you know, it was crazy, but, but, uh, um, that was, that was the thing. So, so normally if I, I would try to do, you know, to, try other ideas, you know, uh, if, if it was, um, if it was possible, but I could not think of anything else other than what I'd done. And so I didn't help them out at all. I just said, tell me what you think it should be. And then maybe, then I'll, maybe I could do that. And, um, so they went and got a consultant and the consultant came back with three or four drawings uh, in marker on cardboard. Oh God! <laughs> uh, I, I, I saw. I I was showing them, and um, I, it was maybe so. It was like a Madison Avenue consultant, and the only one I remember. I mean, one was uh, longer than the next. The only one I remember was. Um, uh, against a white background, there was uh, this object, which on one side of it was uh, uh, one of these rural mailboxes, you know, on a post, mm -hmm. and uh, on the other, you know, sort of the the left side of this object was this mailbox, and then as you look to the right side of it, and that side of it was a lunchbox hmm. because yeah. it's, it's about letters and lunchbox, it leaves lunchbox, you know, is, is part of the plot, but yeah. hmm. what, well, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm was, really glad they went with your concept. <laughs> so this consultant, um, provided several alternative ideas for ever and they were actually all so awful that nobody nobody wanted me to follow them <laughs> they just went along with my drawing after all <laughs> oh well i'm so happy that they did <laughs> oh i am too i must say it was kind of a default victory Did the editor of the book put you and Beverly Cleary together on this project or did she request you or? You know, I don't actually know, but I, I think, uh, you could probably check this out, but I think that, uh, Ralph S. Mouse was the book she had done before that. And this was the following book. And, so they just put me on it. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how that worked. And I, I was, uh, I was given Ralph S. Mouse because it was the third book about the mouse. 
on the motorcycle, uh, which had been illustrated by Lewis Darling, but he had died. So, uh, so they needed somebody. And I had just done, uh, it was my second picture books, picture book. It was with Green Willow, uh, called what Amanda saw. It was a book that very few people saw actually, <laughs> but, uh, um, it was very realistically rendered in pencil and, uh, and the drawings were very nice, and and uh, I'm sure that it was those animal drawings that made them think about Ralph S. Mouse. How much contact did you have with Beverly Cleary during during the process of um, of illustrating Dear Mr. Henshaw? Oh, um, I think I was I was probably in touch about four or five times, I would say, but the first contact. Uh, was wonderful because it came along with the manuscript. Uh, she sent a collection of uh, little uh, school photographs of kids uh, because she um, she kids sent her letters you know all the time. In fact, dear Mr. Henshaw it was her. Her, her failed attempt to get kids not to send her letters. <laughs> like, you know, if you read it that way, it's really, uh, it's really about that. Uh, um, but uh, when kids send her letters, they would include pictures of themselves, as, as Lee does in one of the earliest letters. And, and she keeps them, she's told me. Uh, she keeps them in a basket. And when she's creating a new character, she kind of flips through them just for inspiration. And, and she had taken these, I think uh, four or five of these little color photographs and taped them to a piece of cardboard. And she was looking at them when she was writing Lee and Barry and the other couple of kids who are in that book. And she mailed that to me and with a note saying, this isn't because she thinks they have to look like this. But these are the kids and the, the the spirit of the kids and the idea that she had, That's and so um, and it was great. And I didn't, so I didn't use them. I didn't try to draw them at all. But it was very reaffirming because when I saw them, I thought, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> that's who I, you know, I I agree. You know, and and I tried to, you know, I was already you know, trying to uh, come up with faces or, you know, well, actually for, for, for Lee, for Lee Botts, I, um, how, how did I find him? I, I went to, um, there's a school around the corner from me and, uh, one of my other editors had a good friend who taught at that school and I just asked her, I think, if I could look in on on the school, and I and that, that's how I got my my Lee bots by sort of lurking. <laughs> I want to tell you about when I first met Beverly Cleary. Oh, we'd love to hear. Uh, I had illustrated and written. Uh, a picture book um, for Dodd Mead, a tiny little company, 
and they were willing to uh, to send me to ALA as long as I could find a place to stay for myself. It was, you know, it was sort of a bare bones thing, and uh, and I while I was there, I had already illustrated this book for Green Willow. I, I believe, and and so I was invited to a party that uh, Morrow Junior Books gave because Green Willow was a part of that company, and Beverly, well, that was Beverly's publisher. So that day, I went. I was on the floor of the ALA, wearing uh, a Made in the Mouse and the Odd Shaped House T-shirt that I had made for myself. It had the cover drawing on the t-shirt and this was so far back that in time that printing was um the idea of having something like custom printed or drawn on a t-shirt was impressive you know people couldn't do it you'd look three times and say how do you do that because you couldn't go to any kind of shop and have them do it for you uh and it was pretty complicated the way I'd managed to do it, which included a bunch of hand painting. So anyway, I was, I'd been wearing that during the day. Then, then I put a, a shirt and blazer on over my T-shirt to go to this party because it was a different publisher anyway. And um, and then it turns out Beverly Cleary was at the party. And I thought that was really great. But I have to admit here that I knew Beverly Cleary was a famous author and I knew uh, like that she wrote Henry and Ribsy, but I'd never read anything she'd written. She'd started writing uh, early enough that as a kid, I probably could have read some of her things, but I didn't. And I never, so I, so I sort of knew who she, all I knew was that she was famous. And here I was being introduced to her and feeling sort of guilty for not knowing really anything about her. Uh, and so, so he's introduced to her. And the first thing she says to me is, would you bear your chest to me? <laughs> <laughs> so that was memorable. What did you, what did you do? Now, obviously, obviously she had heard about my t-shirt. <laughs> and wanted to see it, <laughs> oh and uh, you know, and and uh, I don't, well, I don't know, maybe you could see it through the through the shirt I was wearing <laughs> or something. I don't know how how she knew that I had it on underneath my uh, dress shirt, but I did. So I so I took off my dress shirt <laughs> and showed her my t shirt, and then um, the next time I saw her, I think. It wasn't long after that 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 I in the mail I got the manuscript for for Ralph S. Mouse, and that made me sort of realize that probably the reason that she had any idea who I was because she had she she clearly did know something about who I was uh, was that she had must have been shown my, my other Greenwell book when they were thinking about who could illustrate. Ralph S. Mouse. So anyway, I I got the manuscript for Ralph S. Mouse. I illustrated that and and to see her. I knew I was going to see her again at another ALA. The first one was in San Francisco. The, the second one was in Philadelphia. And 
I really wanted, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to make a Ralph S. Mouse t-shirt to, to show her. So I got, uh, I sort of taught myself to embroider enough to make a pair of Ralph S. Mouse designer jeans. Oh, <laughs> this amazing. was at a time when <laughs> designer jeans were really a big thing and you wouldn't like you'd get real status points for wearing jeans that said Gloria Vanderbilt and had the logo on the front and the name on the back. So I showed up wearing these jeans that had a little mouse on the motorcycle pointing at you on, on the front pocket and the Ralph S. Mouse title in the in the same typefaces on the book on the back pocket and I was really proud of those jeans and and I didn't have much occasion to wear them ever again after that (laughs) Uh, and finally and a couple of years ago I I donated them to the curling collection in Minneapolis oh wow so they they have uh, my Ralph S. Mouse designer jeans and I also gave them the uh, the illustrations to that book. Oh, that's amazing. The one. We're going to have to find a picture of those pants. <laughs> Obviously, you've received many, many awards, um, but nobody really talks about what the experience is like for an illustrator of a Newbery-winning book. Um, do you want to talk about that at all? Well, it wasn't, there wasn't much of one. Um, I was very proud to be associated with it, but I wasn't, and I was invited to, at, at the ALA, I mean, I, I was in, invited to, to the ALA and I got to sit at the Morrow table at the banquet, but uh, it wasn't about me. And, and I mean, that book, I think it's really appropriate. It, it was very much it's not about its illustrations and the illustrations. Um, I mean, they, they don't hurt it. They, they add to it some, but I, I don't think it's, um, I mean, it's not a book that you come away with because of the illustrations, I don't think. And, and you know, anyway, the cover has an effect, I'm sure. But uh, it, it, it really wasn't, it, it was very much not about me when it won the Newberry and I didn't feel like it should have been about me. So it was just, I probably, it was probably similar to when you're the editor of a book that wins something like that. You know, I I, I was very happy and and very proud. Um, I, I, I wished I'd had a royalty contract for that book, but (laughs) what's that? (laughs) I bet at uh, this point, my goodness. Well, and that was, I mean, it's, it's always, you know, a, a question of, of uh, sort of clout, you know, how much, uh, it, it, for an illustrator, especially for some, an illustrator for a chapter book to get a royalty, uh, if, if their name is adding to the sales, then that's one thing, but mine wasn't. And it, you know, it, it was very clear. And, and the other name was, uh, you know, way up there. She was, she was already as famous as you get. So you know, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was still very proud to be uh, associated with it. And I, 
still proud, but I'm very happy that as the 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 Cleary property you know, passes from you know one set of editors to another and one set of marketers to another, and they periodically re-illustrate most of her books, that Dear Mr. Henshaw has not been touched. And I'm grateful for that. Well, I don't think you can get much more perfect for that than your illustrations, honestly. <laughs> and honestly, from from a perspective oh, of having read it as a kid, I loved the book when I was reading it. I remember reading it for the first time. But I didn't really understand the book until I started getting to the illustrated parts. So to me, as a kid reader, and then reading it again as an adult recently, I think it it adds an enormous amount to the text. Um, well, that's very, that's a lot of you to say. That's really interesting. So, yeah. so the illustration, what they, they helped you understand it, does not just pay attention because it's too boring to have no illustrations, but, but you actually understood more. That's very nice. Yeah. Um, because I could be like, Oh, this, this kid, he's a kid. Like he looks like kids. I see, and he has a life that I can see, you know? Yeah, I guess with the mm -hmm. letters and the journals, there's a sense of not being able to see him. Like, there's mm -hmm. no description, really. Mm -hmm. and, and so the illustrations right. help yeah. so much with that, just visualizing, which is important for kids. Mm -hmm. We're going to move it to the awards that were all about you, <laughs> which are the Caldecotts. You had three honor books and one winner over a 13-year span. Um, so right. how did the experience change from the first time for your first honor all the way to when you had the medal? I, I feel very blessed in the way it all came through for me because, um, I didn't really know what these awards were. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't get too much too soon. I think I got a lot and I'm grateful for that. And, you know, um, but it was, it was meted out in a sort of orderly way so that, um, the, uh, yeah, some of my books had, had won some things before the, the call got ever came to them. And so it wasn't like my first winning of anything. I, I mean, I see people whose first book, wins the call of the medal. And I'm not, I don't think that's the best way, you know, to create a, a good life afterwards, you know? Uh, so I think I had a lot more perspective because of, uh, because of, things came gradually uh, for me. But uh, I, and, and I, and because I wasn't really expecting these things at any step of the way, uh, I loved getting, I, I loved the, um, sort of the gradually increasing, you know, uh, sort of dinners that the publisher might put on or parties that they would give. And it just kind of, even small ones were, uh, you know, small ones at the beginning were great, and then they got bigger, and that's greater. I, 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 I enjoyed 
every bit of all of it. Um, and uh, they, so the, you know, the, the honor winning an honor uh, means that there's this, the Caldecott dinner and a plaque that you'll get during the dinner. So you'd get up and go over and accept the plaque and, and be at a sort of uh, you know, well-placed table with a lot of very happy publishing people. And, um, and, and, and that was really great. And then I, then I got to see the speeches of the people who had won and see what that was like. Um, then when I actually won the medal, which I totally wasn't expecting because I, the, the two other fairy tales that I'd illustrated had both been called the caught honors. And I just was sure that that should be considered enough. And here I was doing it again. I wasn't going to get rewarded for that. Um, so when it came, it was a complete shock. Even though it, some people had told me that it was in the running, but I really didn't think it was. Now, how do they notify so, you? We know how it works with the Newberries, but do they do that early morning phone call for the Caldecotts as well? Uh, yes, but I think at that point they hadn't yet instituted the um, uh, was it the Monday morning uh, press conference where it's announced and, and to make made that much more dramatic because it's, it's a scheduled thing. It used to be that the committees would meet and deliberate and maybe go all night. And as soon as they came to a resolution, they would then phone the winner right then. And it could be middle of the night then. Oh, wow. And that made, and so that made great stories, you know, because people were completely taken off guard. Um, but then it would it, it's it's more valuable to the uh, to the ALA to do it differently because they found they you know they they would get a lot of attention to the award if people knew it was coming you know if they, if the announcement uh, was you know at at a certain time so so that then the call became uh, regularized. And the year that Rapunzel was um, in the running, um, it was, I just didn't remember whether it, the call comes on a Monday or a Tuesday. And I, I knew that they were meeting over the weekend and I knew it was that weekend. And I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to know who's going to win. Um, but uh, I I asked my wife, uh, who remembers things like this better than I do. Did you know? Did the call from Apple system was that Monday or was it Tuesday? And she said it was Tuesday. Um, she said it was Tuesday, even though she knew perfectly well that it was Monday, um, <laughs> because because she didn't want me to worry. I mean, she didn't really believe that I was not worrying. <laughs> I was just, you know, I, I wasn't, I was, had no expectation, literally, and I was just wanting to know 
when I should pay attention. So, um, so it was going to be coming, you know, they were going to be deciding on Tuesday and then Monday morning I was in my studio at working and the phone rings and, um, some man, um, that I don't know, which this had been happening a lot at that time. I would, the only, I don't get a lot of calls and when it's a man, I don't know. It's some, it was always somebody uh, trying to get me to buy a different long distance phone service. <laughs> and, and I was sure that was what it was. So they said, is Paul Zelinsky there? And I said, well, what, what do you want him for? Something like that. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't say it was me. And he said, well, we're calling him, um, from uh, New Orleans to say that Rapunzel has been chosen the book of the year. And all of a sudden there were people cheering. And I was so confused because this was, this was a day early and this could not be legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, but I, and and then I, I just got very weirded out, and and I thought maybe it probably was real, and uh, I didn't know what to think, and I don't know what I said. I just I hope that I thanked him, and I was, pretty soon after that I was off the phone, and I was calling my wife at work where she was a teacher, um, and uh, so she was teaching a class and. I had uh, I had the secretary send a note into her class, uh, and it said Rapunzel won the Caldecott Medal. And she, she started to cry when she saw a kid come into her uh, to her room from the office with a note because she immediately knew that it could only be that. Oh, that's so sweet. So she she. She had been very worried and thinking about it a lot. Uh, so it, it was yeah, it was kind of a dramatic event to get that call on the on the absolute wrong day. <laughs> Here you're thinking that the long distance guys have really upped their game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if that, if they'll do that for me, I'll I'll take it. <laughs> So do you think, have you seen a difference in the buzz around books and how much you might know about whether your book is being considered? Did you see any difference in that during that time? It's much easier now to know about what people are saying if you pay any attention to things online. Um, But I think it's still the case that the world is filled with people who are speculating about things that they really don't know anything about. And even after the choices are made, they still don't know why they were made, but they think they know. I I prefer to think that even though there's a lot of talk about it, I don't believe any of it 
really has any validity. It's just it's just attributing reasons based on what you think yourself. Um, those deliberations are secret, and I think they tend to stay secret. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that the reasons that they have for going the way they go are probably just not what people think they are. So, and I, I often don't agree with the decisions they make. I often think, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, they, there's, this is terrible art, and they gave it a big award. And then I sometimes think this is great art, and they gave it a big award. Um, but I also think that because the Caldecott, like the Newberry, is so established and so important, and it's still, thank goodness, something that sells books, that that creates a market just on the basis of being awarded, that if it were something people understood and could kind of predict in some way, it would sway the market. It would have influence that nothing should have. I don't think there's any way uh, you can aim for the call to con, really. I think people make movies aiming for Oscars and that works. You know, <laughs> the, the, they are uh, serious in a certain way and they win things that they don't win their comedies. But the, the call to cuts are so they're all over the map. And, and, I, and that means to me that there's some are wildly wrong, but I think it's, I think it's fine. I think it, I think it, the end result is really good. I guess that's the beauty of having a committee that changes every year. You could probably, commit, right, yeah. you could probably predict over time if you had the same committee, but not, not like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also that I think the secrecy of it helps, don't you? That, that you don't really know. I mean, they, they take the charge very seriously, I think. And the, oh, yeah. the, the, um, and and you know the definitions very literally, and it's just, it's just different every year. The thing I did last year that I was really pleased with uh, was uh, a mural, because it was so different for me. I've never done anything like that. It was a mural in the uh, children's book room of this new American Writers Museum in Chicago. Uh, that it would be great if people could go to see it. It was, a, it was a fantastic opportunity to do even more research because it was a, uh, it was a picture of a, um, a giant tree filled with uh, squirrels reading children's books. Oh, that sounds so Classic wonderful. children's books. And Leonard Marcus and I chose the books that could go in it for mm. not just not just as quality choices, but that were seminal, you know, significant in one way or another. And um, and so there were about in the low thirties, thirty odd uh, books being read by these squirrels, and um, and I had to and I decided that the covers of the books, which were reproduced photographically in this mural, uh, would be, uh, would have to be the first printing, first edition 
of these books because otherwise it would make no sense. Mm -hmm. So, and some of them going all the way back, I had to, you know, find the original first covers of the books and a good copy that I could have a photograph of with enough resolution that it could go on this mural. And um, it, and for for some of them, for most of them, it was it was very easy. Uh, but for some, it really wasn't, uh, and especially where the squirrels were holding a book such that you saw the front and back covers, mm. uh, because the back covers are not reproduced places. And and so I ended up having um, uh, correspondence with archives and libraries all around the country, tracking down actual copies of some of these books so they could photograph them for me because they just did not exist online anywhere. And people uh, didn't have them in, in libraries near here uh, that I could go to. Um, and and, and uh, like... Uh, caps for sale turns out it was um it had a whole different set of illustrations first in its first printing oh, wow really yeah it, it, she sorry had i just sound so shocked yeah. i'm sorry i'm a bookseller and i i um have a three-year-old i've read that book so many times and i also collect the first editions of books so that to me is super interesting <laughs> uh, yeah i i'm gonna guess that you do not have a first edition of that book <laughs> i do not <laughs> a rare thing uh, uh but i found the back front and back covers of that i think it was at uh Beinecke library at yale that photographed it for me oh, so wow. I could use it. and uh, uh um and uh, the, but the little house in the big woods, um, that one, I was looking for the back cover of the first printing, and I ended up in touch with a collector who was apparently like the, the final authority on that book, who agreed with me that it probably it doesn't exist. It, oh, it no. was, there, there are copies of the book without the jacket and there are copies of books that say first printing but they don't have but the back cover has this little blurb about all of her books in the series oh, so it's yeah, which is clearly not you're not going to get that on the first printing of the first book of the series so uh, you know it was it it was a wartime printing. It, it was on bad paper. It wasn't seen as an important thing. And there are, there don't seem to be any copies oh, wow. of the first actual first printing jacket. Now I want to go see it. <laughs> oh, please do. So we just have one last question. For our, our podcast, we tend to uh, sip on a cocktail with every episode, and um, we were just wondering if you have a favorite adult beverage. I don't, I don't mix drinks very much, but I do, I do indulge. I like Maker's Mark, um, just on the rocks. Nice. And so, I mean, I like making marks, and I like drinking Maker's Mark. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's totally appropriate. <laughs> That's my cocktail. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure is mine.
Thank you for joining us today for our interview with Paul Ozelinski. You can visit his website, which is paulozelinski.com, to see more about his works, to read more about his life, and to read about the traffic light costume that he made when he was a child. I forgot to bring that up, and I was so blown away. Yeah, it was amazing. So great thanks to Paul Zelinski. Um, we will have a lot of links in our show notes about all the things he talked about, and hopefully we'll have a picture of the Ralph S. Mouse jeans. Say that three times fast. Ralph S. Mouse <laughs> jeans. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.